You're listening to the Covenant original series, The Silent Roar. Culture would have us believe that you can have Jesus fit into your life, but Jesus demands that he become the single purpose of your life. We are in week three of The Silent Roar, as Pastor Seth told you, and we're walking through some of the toughest teachings of Christ, and uh, boy, it's, it's, been, it's been good, challenging, all of the above, right? And today, uh, we're talking about this idea of Jesus over everything, Jesus over everything. If you're joining us for the first time, we want to welcome you, glad that you are here with us. We're a church that worships in spirit and in, and in truth, uh, which means a whole lot of things, but for us, one of the things that it means is that we don't just gather here on a Sunday and sing songs and worship here. Um, we also want to learn about the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of Scripture. So we're kind of nerdy. We take notes, and then we take those notes into what we call our sea life groups, small groups throughout the week, because Sunday is just the start for us as a church. We pull out those notes, and then we discuss them in these groups. And it's in these groups that you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to grow in your community with others, and you're going to actually grow in your leadership as well. If you're not a part of a sea life group, I would highly recommend you jumping into one as it's going to be an anchor for you here. And you can grab one of our Covenant Life magazines, our Sea Life magazines out front. All right, so we are going to jump in today. Are we ready? Are we good? Are we okay? All right, here we go. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, um, but it's a good one. I'm going to try to preach it in as much loving, uh, you know, love, a loving way as possible. We're going to start off in the book of Luke, though. So jump over to the book of Luke, and I'm going to have to make sure while you're jumping over there that you are actually with me, that you're alive, that you're awake. I think I always preach a little bit better if you make some noise sometimes. Um, not booing, don't do that, but maybe just a yeah, or just whatever, every once in a while I'll be okay, all right? Okay, fantastic, this is gonna be a great day. Okay, Luke chapter 14, here we go. We're gonna be starting in verse 25, and Jesus says this. We've referenced this passage a couple times throughout the series. Today we're gonna dive into it. Jesus speaking, it says, now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned to them and he said, and here's the key, watch this now, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yeah, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I'm going to ask if you would just to read that last line, that last little bit with me out loud. He cannot be in other words, Jesus is saying that if someone is not willing to hate their father and their mother and their sister and their brother, even their own life, they cannot follow me. They cannot have any part of me, which is a problem because as we talked about last week in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And so for Jesus to say in the book of John that nobody gets to God, nobody gets to heaven, nobody gets to eternal life with the creator apart from me, and then for him to say, unless they hate all these people that can have no part of me, that creates kind of an issue. That creates kind of a problem. So let's keep going and see what he says. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, strike two. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to build a tower, whether he has enough to complete it, rather. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who, all who see it begin to mock him, make fun of him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Well, what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate 
whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you, he just kind of like talks and then he brings it for full circle to make sure that if you missed his point so far, you get it on this last line. He says, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Any of you who, don't, do not, who are not willing to renounce everything and completely focus on me and have me be everything over everything, you can't follow me. So clearly you can see why this would be one of the tougher teachings of Jesus Christ. It's hard to believe that Jesus was actually a popular individual with sermons like these. In fact, uh, there, was a, there was a time referenced in the Gospels where a bunch of people showed up to hear Jesus. We're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of people showed up to hear Jesus just talk. And Jesus stands up and he says some very difficult things and then everybody just leaves him. And I love that about Jesus because he's not here to, to just kind of you know, bring us lollipops and, and sugar. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not here just to tickle our ears. He's here because he said he's, he's come to seek and save that which is lost. That's his intent. He's not here to pander to you. He's not here to, to make sure that you have a great time. He's not, here. He's not He's here for a specific purpose. He cares about your soul. He cares about your heart. He cares about the rest of your eternity. And so this time, this, this, Jesus is speaking and everybody leaves and the disciples walk up to Jesus because the disciples, they like to correct Jesus sometimes, which is kind of funny, considering he's God. They walk up to him and they're like, Jesus, that was a, that was a really tough teaching. You might want to pull it back next time. And Jesus doesn't defend himself. Do you know what Jesus says? He actually just turns and says, I know, are you going to leave me too? In essence, Jesus is saying, I know what I'm doing. What are you going to do about it? What are you gonna do? Are you willing to renounce all that you have? Are you willing to place me over everything? And the disciples said, I mean, what can we do? We know that you're God. You have the words of life. I mean, we have to follow you, right? What can we do? What can we do? This is definitely a tough teaching of Jesus. And, and I'm gonna kind of switch gears on this, it sounds like, but I wanna give you a phrase that I, kinda, I think kind of will encapsulate this teaching, and it's this. If you're taking notes, maybe write this down. It's this. Our priorities are proven by our decisions, not our intentions. Our priorities are proven by our decisions, not our intentions. I believe that this is truly what Jesus Christ was after in this tough teaching. He was after this truly. I, I don't actually believe that Jesus, follow me here, is really calling us to hate people. I don't believe that Jesus is actually wanting us to hate our mothers and our fathers I believe that what Jesus is saying here is that in comparison to the love that we have for God the Father, for Jesus Christ the Son, our love for our families, our love for our jobs, our love for our stuff should seem like hatred. Are you following me so far? It's not that he's calling us to hate, it's that he's calling us to a higher accountability in our relationship with him. And in comparison to our love for him, Everything else should seem like hatred. Jesus is calling us to love him above all else. Jesus is calling us to surrender to him above all else, to sacrifice for him above all else. And I would say this, the intention of placing Jesus above all else is not good enough. 
We might have good intentions, but unless we actually have the due diligence of actually placing, uh, placing Jesus above family, placing Jesus above home, placing Jesus above career or, 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 or whatever it might be, it doesn't really matter. How many of us know that our priorities are proven by our decisions and not our intentions? Anybody? If you don't believe me, just skip your anniversary to your wife one day and come home and say, you know what, I'm meant to get you flowers. And then you tell me if I'm right or wrong on this point. Because I'm telling you that your priorities are proven by your decisions, not your intentions. It doesn't matter how much you intended to do a thing if you never actually do a thing. Somehow in our society, though, we give platitude and elevate people who have great intentions but don't accomplish the thing they intended to set out to do because they never actually tried. And so we celebrate this. We talk about this. Um, this is definitely true in, in, in like the gym industry, the workout industry, which I, I'm, I know a lot of people, I'm an expert on that. And... Um, and that wasn't a joke, but thanks for laughing. And, um, and I recently joined a gym, which is one of the greatest and worst days of my life. I put myself into accountability, which was also not one of the greatest. It was, one, it was top three worst days of my life because then I knew I had to do this. Otherwise, I was going to have this person calling me and saying mean things about me. I asked him to do that, and it's happened a lot since I asked him to do that. Has it been fun? Um, but the intention of going to the gym doesn't make a difference. Right? Like, I got to get up. In order to go to the gym daily, I get Sundays off. In order to go daily, I have to wake up at roughly 4.30 to 5 a.m. Here's the problem. Every night, I really intend on doing that, but it just rarely happens. Okay? And so if I don't actually go, then nothing actually takes place. Our priorities are proven by our decisions, not our intentions. And so if this is true, let me ask you a question. What are your priorities? What are those things that you would hold most dear? What, what are you prioritizing in your life? If you're like most people or maybe most people of faith or most people familiar at least culturally with, with what it would mean to be a believer, I think that we have a priority list. We've talked about this a little bit before, but I think it's so good to, and central to this teaching um, in fact, if I were to ask you, what are your top four priorities? Most people would say, most people who are familiar with faith would say something like, well, number one, of course, is Jesus. We get that out of the way, right? Like, we're like, just sit down with somebody sometime. It's really funny. Hey, give me your top priorities. Okay, well, number one, clearly is God. Clearly, okay, clearly. Okay, cool. Number two, uh, family, uh, career, and friends. And, and we would say this with confidence because we believe this is actually how it's supposed to function. We actually believe that this is, and, and, and from all you know, angles outside looking in, this, this seems to be a very good priority list. You've got Jesus, you've got your family, you've got your career, you've got your friends, and we say Jesus must have the first priority, the first point of priority in our lives, and we would agree with that, amen, yes? Jesus must have the first, right? And while you're not wrong, there's a problem with this list. There's a problem with these priorities because in the end, it, it kind of leaves us searching as, as to what it means to actually make Jesus number one in the priorities. Like, what does it actually look like to make Jesus 
number one. And so what we do is we, we work really hard at making sure that, okay, that means if he's number one, I gotta read my Bible first thing in the morning. Okay, then I gotta pray. Okay, because I'm making Jesus number one, I gotta make sure to get to church on Sunday. Now, the pastor mentioned uh, something about a sea life group, so because he's number one, I gotta figure out what that means to plug in. We might even volunteer. Some of us might even volunteer with children, which there's another level of heaven for you, right, that you deserve. Um, amen, yeah, whoa, whoa, amen. Um, maybe even we like jump all the way and actually invest financially in life change in our church, but at the end of the day, how do we really know if we've made Jesus Christ number one on the priority list? Is it a time thing, right? Is it like, well, I spent more time with Jesus than everything else, so he's number one? That's impossible. You spend more time at your job than you do talking with Jesus or spending time on the word. How can we figure out if we're doing enough, if we're doing too little, if he's actually number one or if he's number two? And you might say, like, well, that's kind of like, like, I mean, like, are we really mincing words? I think it's worth mincing words over because Jesus says, unless I'm over everything, you can have no part of me. And so we need to get this right. This isn't something that we can just overlook. It's not just something that we can be like, well, God's grace will cover it. No, Jesus said, hate everything, renounce everything, and follow me. Follow me. And last I checked, none of us have renounced everything. None of you are living in the middle of Africa as a missionary, renouncing your family, renouncing. None of you have given up everything and moved to Southeast Asia to win people to Jesus. Are you feeling me? None, and I'm here. We haven't renounced all of our stuff, so is there a problem? I think there, I think there actually might be. Let, let's look at the words of Paul. Paul in Romans chapter 10 says this. I love this passage. Look at this. Read this with me. He says, verse 8, but the word is, okay, let's, let's, okay, let's just rewind, and we're going to try to do this together. Here we go. But the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Okay, that's good. But the word of God is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. What Paul is speaking about here, what is he speaking about here? I love his language. The word, uh, the word that he's speaking here, by the way, is the gospel. The word of faith that he's speaking about here is, is the gospel. The fact that Jesus came to us, which is something we should celebrate anyway, amen? The fact that we could not get to God, so God came to us. The incarnation of Jesus Christ, God with flesh and blood and bones on, a God that we could interact with, a God that breathed our air, walked in our shoes, knew what it was like to feel depressed, anxious, stressed, hungry, tired, beaten, bruised, deaf. God went through that for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And Paul says here that that word is near you in your mouth and in your heart, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the gospel. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the gospel. Okay, verse nine. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him shall not be put to shame. Okay, I was waiting for a big Baptist amen. I'll just keep going. All right. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who came to him. I'm going to give you another chance here. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. There we go. Thank you. My legalistic Baptist roots, thank you. Thank you very much. 
Paul seems to indicate here that a relationship with Christ, a relationship that gives Jesus Christ the number one spot and priority, is not something that, that we are a part of, uh, but more so it's something that is a part of us, part of something that is, that is in us. Paul says that the word is in our mouth and in our heart. In, in essence, the gospel, Jesus Christ, is fused to our person the moment that we surrender our life to him. There is a, there is a fusing of the supernatural and the natural. There, there's, a, there's a fusing of the God and, 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 and who we physically are. And that's why it's kind of interesting when I, when I talk with people who are wrestling with assurance of salvation, when they say things like, oh man, uh, like I sinned, does that mean God left me? And I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, no, that's literally impossible because God has fused himself with you. He has fused himself with your heart. He has fused himself. The two have now become one. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear about that, when I hear about being saved it gets me excited about my future. It gets me excited about heaven. And I, I long for heaven. I don't know how much heaven comes up in your daily life. But as a dad with five kids, it comes up often. Like often. Because I think about death often. Not in an unhealthy way. Not in an unhealthy way. Just hold on. Okay? You don't need to check on me. I'm good. I'm good. Right? I'm just thinking like someday there will be no more pain. Someday there will be no more tears. One of my good friends uh, just two days ago lost his mother, uh, just out of nowhere, passed away. Uh, three years before that, he lost his brother. And I just talked with him on the phone just, just yesterday. And uh, he's a pastor, and, and uh, he's from back home. And I was talking with him, and, and he's so good. He's so good. He's a better man than me because I said, how are you doing, man? He said, you know what? I'm good. My mom knew Jesus, and, and she's not in pain. And someday I will, see, I will see her again. She's up there with my brother right now. And I just thought, man, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of pain, you are able to look at heaven as your hope. How beautiful of a thing is that? How beautiful of a thing is that? But if a relationship with Jesus is only ever about getting you into heaven someday, then Jesus really isn't all that important to you today. Now think about that. I think for many Christians, Jesus is very important for securing someday. But after we've secured someday, we get to kind of just live in today. We get to kind of just meander through today, do what we want today, walk through pain alone today. If Jesus is, is only about getting you into heaven someday, then Jesus really isn't that important to you Today, This logic contradicts the very thing that Paul is saying here when he tries to tell us that the word of God is near us, is in us, in our mouths, and in our hearts. The fact of the matter is Jesus doesn't just want to be the Lord of your tomorrow. Jesus wants to be the God of your today. Jesus doesn't just want to be there for you tomorrow, secure a place in heaven for you tomorrow. Jesus wants to be the God of your today. Jesus is the one who wants to walk with you through your pain today. Amen? Any of us going through something today? I know you are because you're human. 
There's always an issue with finances with someone in a church. There's always somebody who has passed away or about to pass away in a church our size. There's always somebody who's wrestling through a, through a, a divorce, or there's always somebody who's wrestling with their children. Or there's, there's always problems in a church. Why? Well, number one, we're human, and number two, we're family. There's always a problem. <laughs> Families are messy. Like, if, if you don't believe me, then A, you're not either part of a family or you're the problem in your family. Nobody's told you. That's it. That's it. You're like, I don't see any problem. You're the problem. You're the weird uncle who brings bad gifts on Christmas. Okay, take that for what it's worth. All right. Um, Jesus is the God who longs to walk with you in your struggle today. Jesus is the God who who longs to, to walk with you through your addictions and your anxiety today. Jesus is the God who longs to heal your marriage today, not someday, today. Jesus is meant to be the God of all my todays. And if he is the God of all my todays, I have to reevaluate my priorities. Let me show you what I mean. Once again, if our priority list is number one, Jesus, two, family, three, career, number four, friends, it seems pretty legit. However, I've really come to discover that this is an impossible task. This is a very difficult thing to do. Just think about it logically. If Jesus is number one, then that means he really deserves the most time. And does that mean that I I tell my wife, like, hey, hold on, I can't spend 30 minutes with you. I only spent 20 with Jesus. Does that mean that I have to tell my kids, hey, daddy just got home from work, but I have to go straight into time, uh, spending time with Jesus. I gotta read the Bible. I can't spend time with you. I gotta spend time with Jesus. Hey, how about this? How about you tell your boss that you can't finish up your work because you have to spend time praying? How do you think that would go in your job? You probably would have a lot of time to pray because you wouldn't have a job at the end of the day. Oh, go pray all you want. See ya, right? I mean, like, is that how it's supposed to work? Colossians speaks on this. Colossians 1 says this. He is the, this is such a good, oh man, this is such a good passage. Look at this. I love this passage. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus now. Look at the beauty in this writing. The firstborn of all creation For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and what? For him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, this church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice that that scripture says here, Jesus is before all things. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn, and then in everything he must be preeminent. Seems to support the priority list, doesn't it? About placing Jesus one, placing Jesus First, at first glance, Colossians seems to support a priority list set up where Jesus is one and then everything else flows. That's what it looks like. But then you have to keep reading. You have to keep reading this because it says also that all things were created through him and for him, that in him all things hold together, that the goal of the cross was to reconcile all things to himself. So Jesus is the first, yes. He is first in order. He is first in everything. Will we agree with this? Yes, you can just say amen, amen? Amen. Amen. But 
let me, you gotta get this. He is first in everything because he is the center of everything. He is first in everything because he is the center of everything. Get it? He is at the center of the beginning. You say, I thought that was God. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Who is that word? Capital W. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is at the very center of the beginning. He is at the center of all of creation. Every molecule and atom and strand in this universe was created by him and through him and for him because Jesus Christ is at the center of everything. He is first because he is center. And this is what he should be in our lives. This is how it should function. Interestingly enough, the thing at the center of your life is what is first in your life. Whatever is central to your life, really, in priorities, is first. And so, instead of worrying about putting Jesus first in our lives, what if we concentrated on making him the center of our lives? Instead of wondering if, have I spent enough time in the Bible? Have I spent enough time praying? Did I raise my hands high enough when I was singing? Did I go to church enough time? Did I volunteer? Did I give enough money? Did I, did I, did I compliment the pastor because he always looks good on a Sunday? I mean, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is. What if we weren't ruled by legalism? What if we weren't ruled by religion? What if we were actually ruled by a relationship that places him center? Center. Where everything we have runs through him. Where everything we do goes through him. And so it's not just Jesus, then my family. It's Jesus in my family. It's not just Jesus, then my job. You can't separate Jesus from your job because it's Jesus in your job because Jesus is in the center of all you do. So when you are at work, you are just as much being Jesus as when you're alone in your prayer closet. It's not Jesus, then my desires. It's Jesus in my desires. Is this making sense? This changes everything. This changes our walk with Jesus. This changes how we view Jesus. A view like this demands that Jesus be talked to on a regular basis. A view like this demands, a teaching like this demands that Jesus really be very influential on our dreams and desires, the, who we marry, who we date, what house we buy, because it's not Jesus then your house, it's Jesus in your house. It's that Jesus, then your car. It's Jesus in your car. You get my point, right? You cannot separate this. Jesus is the way that I do whatever I do, whenever I do, whatever I do. Let me just say that again. I'm gonna read it this time so I remember it. Jesus is the way that I do whatever I do, whenever I do, wherever I do. Like, literally, Jesus must run through, everything must run through Jesus. Every decision, every choice, every relationship, the things I say, what I think about, the secrets I contain in my mind, they must run through Jesus, every single thing. He doesn't just change what I do or affect. See, for many of us, we just, Jesus affects who we are on Sunday for a couple hours. Let's just, let's just be real. Let's just be real. For many people, Jesus is influential on a Sunday morning before, between the time period of 9.30 and 11. 
right in that, because that's church, right? But, but, but that's not what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't just change what I do on Sunday. He shapes who I am on a Monday. He continues to transform me on a, on a Tuesday. He's with me on a Wednesday. He strives with me on a Thursday. He stands by me on a Friday. He empowers me on a Saturday. He walks with me every single step of the way. And if we fail to give Jesus Christ the foremost spot in our life, if, if we fail to make him the center through which everything else flows, if we fail to say that he is the single most important thing in our lives, then we run the risk of being a cultural Christian. And I would say this, I love you, but a cultural Christian is no Christian at all. Being culturally familiar with Jesus doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Jesus. You can be religiously familiar, but relationally non-invested. And we set up our churches in such a way that it is easy for you to be religiously familiar and not relationally invested. And yet Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care how many times you've prayed a high and lofty prayer. If I am not the center of your life, you can have no part of me. The center. So much so that your love for me should look like hatred to everybody else in comparison. Your love for me should make the love you have for everyone else look like hatred. So biblical Christianity is all about Jesus. I don't know if you know that. It's kind of a giveaway because his name's in the title, but biblical Christianity is all about Jesus, whereas cultural Christianity is all about me. Now, I could preach on that for a whole minute. I could preach on that probably for a couple minutes. The fact of the matter is it's not about us. It's not about these lights, or this screen, or the property that we bought and this building we're trying to build. It's not about any of that. It's not about any of that. It's not about me. Someday, I'm probably gonna die. Probably. Probably, okay? I might not, but I probably will. Statistically speaking, I probably will. And if this church is to continue and move forward, then this church can't be built on me. This church can't be about a pastor. This church can't be about a worship team. This church can't be about a slick video. This church has to be about Jesus Christ. We must be a church that is about Jesus Christ, center and centered and central to the followings and teachings of Jesus Christ. We must be a church that is only ever, only ever about Jesus, amen? That is what we must do. And we cannot be a church that has Jesus at the center if we are not people who, have, who don't have Jesus at the center. We can't because what is a church? It's not a building. A church is you. A church is me. A church is us gathering together, walking through hurt, walking through pain, walking through sickness, walking through death, walking through deception, walking through anxieties, walking through light, walking through these things and saying, we're going to cling to Jesus. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to love one another. Yes, we're going to let each other down, but we're going to stand strong in Christ because he is central. So how can a church place Jesus at the center if Christians don't place Jesus at the center? He must be central. He must be central. Every single thing that you do must run through him.
Now, I'm gonna leave this to you to get practical because you're the ones with schedules. You're the ones with financial commitments. But here's the takeaway. I would tell you today in your family, don't you dare leave today and say, wow, that was, that was challenging, that was tough, and then go back to living your life. What does a challenging teaching mean if it doesn't change the way that you look at your life? It matters nothing. Why? Because intentions don't matter. Decisions do. You must make the decision to place Jesus Christ at the center of your life. If you do, this time did not matter. You wasted your time. You've wasted your time here today. You could have been home eating waffles which is really fun, right? You could have been out doing anything else. Well, here's what I want you to know. It is the desire of our Lord that you would place him central. Go home with your wife. Go home with your children. Go home by yourself, wherever, whatever you are. And look at your schedule. Look at your calendar. And ask yourself honestly, am I placing Jesus? Is he at the center? Look at your kids' schedules. As a parent, that's tough, isn't it? What are we teaching our children? Look at your own schedule. Look at your payments on your home. The 19 other payments we have on various things. And say, is this a life where Jesus is central? He must be the center, everything. I think that a lot of times, we're gonna end with this, I think a lot of times we want, we want the Jesus who, can, who we can check in with when we want. We want the Jesus who gives us blessing but doesn't require brokenness, right? We want that Jesus and Jesus will not be that Jesus for you. He will not be that because that is not biblically who he is. Because Jesus, meeting Jesus changes my eternity Placing Jesus at the center changes my today. Completely. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.